welcome to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And today's episode is, I think, going to be a little bit of a learning curve for us, but I'm really excited about it. Yeah, learning curve is a, is a kind way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> So today's episode, if you didn't get it from the title or the show notes, we are basically going to be deep diving into the shallow end of the characters that we have met so far in National Treasure Edge of History. The shallow end because we haven't seen their full stories play out yet, but we do feel like since we have a lot of Edge of History content coming your way recently, as well as in the near future, we just all got to be on the same page here. You know, make sure we all have the same background and understanding of who these characters are, at least at this point in our understanding of this Disney Plus series. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crucially important that we, we know our characters, because as we know, characters are a big part of the National Treasure franchise. Just... I mean, yeah. But anyway, before we dive into this mini character analysis of sorts, I think we have to start off with our classic Screams from Parkington Lane. And since I'm assuming we have some new listeners joining us in the the early stage of season six here on the pod, Emily, do you think I should explain what Screams are again? Yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> okay, how... how uh? How colorful can I make this today? Challenge accepted. Our screams from Parkington Lane is the symbolic representation of Emily and myself and hopefully many of our listeners diving headfirst into the deep, dark, diabolical pit that is Parkington Lane beneath Trinity Church in the first National Treasure film, representing how deeply engaged and involved we are in national treasure lore it's basically how national treasure pops up in our daily lives and emily do you have a scream to share this week i do it's it's a good one um so for those of you who are unaware uh all the way back in october um i got engaged uh and I did not communicate well about the ring size, um, so the ring was a little too big, so we had to send it, or we had to take it back to get it adjusted. But I was really sad that we had to take it back to get it adjusted, because I just got engaged, so I wanted a ring. So we ended up, um, me and my partner ended up uh, looking online, on Amazon basically, for different kinds of rings that I could buy that would be just like a cheap substitute quickly and one of the solutions that i actually found when i was debating like not sending the ring back was ring adjusters which are these like little plastic things that you can like put on the inside of a ring and it basically makes it smaller and so i on the amazon listing of ring adjusters they show different rings with different ring adjusters and uh one of the rings that that came up was like legit i'm pretty sure like a freemason ring um it has like the top of the pyramid and the all-seeing eye um i'll show Did you now. get it let me see wait i can't see back it up hold on hold on 
get it. No. Yes. It's not the ring. They don't tell me how to get the ring. Oh. It was for the ring adjuster. But anyway, I saw that and was immediately like, my phone must be listening. I mean, we've we've had many instances at this point of our phones clearly listening, so I would not be surprised. What about you, Aubrey? Well, Emily, I know that we've debated before what the purest, most subconscious form of a scream is, and I think we've landed on dreams like when we're sleeping at night being one of them and i'm really proud to report um i think of a very appropriate dream that i had recently um i had a dream that somehow i got my hands on the script for national treasure 3 and i found like a major problem with the script i don't know what it was i don't remember i'm assuming it was something historical or character driven or something And so I naturally found the entire production and creative team. So like I'm talking the Wibberleys, Nicolas Cage, all those people, they were just kind of like around a table together in the same hotel that I was for some reason in. And I offered my help. So I really thought that I could fix this problem. And Nicolas Cage was very skeptical, but like the Wibberleys were much more you know, down with this. So I don't know. Life imitates art. Art yeah, imitates makes life. Sense. I'm not sure. Um, and I do feel the need to caveat this. Um, this was this dream happened exactly two days after our most recent conversation with Charles Seegers. So Oh wow. <laughs> um wonderful. Yeah, so that's that's my scream slash dream of the day. I mean, amazing as always. I still aspire to get to the point where I'm dreaming about national treasure i mean it was happening to me a lot in the lead up to the edge of history red carpet because i was very stressed that's fair (laughs) that yeah i understand that if you have any screams that you would like to share with us or any comments on this or past episodes uh go ahead and find us on social media you can find us on twitter and instagram at nt hunt podcast we were also available for your listening ears on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your pods we also have a website nthuntpodcast.com where you will find everything from information about the podcast the tour everything about us including our book speaking of our book you can pre-order our book at tuckerdspress.com the book for those of you who do not know is titled national treasure hunt one step short of crazy yes and the book is coming so soon so we need you to have it in your hands as soon as possible anyway let's actually dive into the episode today shall we Um, Before we get started, I do just feel the need to lay some groundwork here. Just two quick caveats for everyone here. As you all know, this is our first time working on or like podcasting about an ongoing series because we haven't had a National Treasure series before. And we obviously weren't going to wait for like the whole season to be done, much less the whole series, because who knows how many seasons we're going to get. So 
Today's character-driven episode will really focus on ensuring we all have this, like I said before, common understanding of the seven main characters in season one of Edge of History. And, you know, we'll probably update our analysis or even add in new characters in follow-up episodes, especially if Edge of History ends up getting more seasons. Do you think that's fair, Em? I mean, I think it's the only thing that makes sense at this point in time, honestly. Yeah, it just really wouldn't make sense for us to hold off because we wouldn't be talking about this for potentially years, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's not that's not happening. Got to get the information to the people. Seriously, it's like a real-time reporting at this point. So this is how this episode is going to shake out. So we're going to start with very brief background on the actor or actress and what we know about their casting where available. Spoiler alert, there's not a lot available. <laughs> then we're going to share what we know at this point about the character. Now, unless y'all have watched every single interview they've ever done in the lead up to this show, I think we're going to be presenting you some new information here. So if you've watched already, I hope you keep listening because I think you're going <laughs> to learn a thing or two because <laughs> we did not every interview, but we listened to almost all the interviews we could get our hands on. We're also going to reprise or bring back, I don't know what the word is, the adjective game that we came up with back in our Ben, Abigail, and Riley character analysis episodes back in the day. Y'all might remember that as Emily and I battling it out to um, be the more poignant one describing our characters. And so we're going to see how our interpretations of the seven main characters compare to one another this early in the game. And finally, we're going to end each character section with one example of who else we could envision playing the role of that character based on, again, very limited current information. I think that'll be fun because I'm going to be trying to convince Emily that actors that I know of, that she has no idea who they are, um, are the right let's say stand-ins backups for our current actors yeah i feel like last time we did this we both came with some alternative casting and uh i was the one who was presenting you with people that you had never heard of so i i think it, i think it'll be interesting uh to be on the other side of it oh how the tables have turned <laughs> so without further ado why don't we jump right in Y'all probably know where we're starting here. It is our main protagonist of National Treasure Edge of History, Jess Valenzuela, played by Lizette Oliveira. So, Emily, you and I also have had the pleasure of meeting pretty much everyone we're going to talk about today. So if you have any personal impressions that you want to share or reflections, please feel free to kind of tag them in. Um, and when it comes to Lizette, the actress i honestly don't have enough nice words to say about her <laughs> she is so kind yeah she's delightful um if you are a movie buff you might know her from a movie called we need to do something which was from 2021 um lizette like most of the actors in this series is more of a newcomer to hollywood and, and we're kind of seeing a breakout role here so not a lot to reference back to in terms of her past acting experience. But 
If you are familiar with her, you might actually know her by a different name. In show business, she has also gone by Lizette Alexis. Now, Lizette grew up in Los Angeles, and that really facilitated her early acting experiences and even her ability to attend castings you know once she was able to drive herself to castings she apparently did quite a bit of that because her parents and her family were understandably a little skeptical of sort of this direction for her at a young age um now she does have mexican ancestry so she has said in interviews that she was able to learn more about her own culture through working on edge of history and playing the jess character oh Uh, that's so nice yeah, I think that's really cool and and probably speaks a little bit to all the interviews that she's done about how this show will hopefully make viewers question their own interpretation and understanding of history, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, it really speaks to the uh, aspect that um, from our bonus last season, we talked to the Wibberleys and they said, you know, they kind of viewed this this show as kind of a 23andMe for uh, the the country so you know seeing that actually play out is pretty cool well casted in that regard for sure now when it comes to her casting uh, we don't know much um, but she has said that prior to getting the part totally unrelated she took a family trip to Mexico to learn a little bit more about her heritage mm-hmm. um, which I think is a fun coincidence we love those here on the pod But she has also said that it was a very long casting process for her. Uh, She ended up finding out that she got the part uh, while she was shopping at the mall with her mom. Um, (laughs) And apparently this shopping trip was almost a reaction how stressed she was because she wasn't hearing about the part. So so that's what we know about that, um, about the actress herself. But what about the character? Now, Emily, I told you that the character's name is Jess Valenzuela. Is that you did? Is that a kind of sending off any signals or making you question anything right off the bat? Uh, for some reason, that's not the last name I was remembering. Ding, ding, ding! Correct. Um, this is remains an unanswered question, I think, for us. So maybe we can ask the Wibberleys about it one time. I suspect I know the answer, but whatever. When this show was first reported and the first sort of synopses came out, her name was written, the character's name, as Jess Morales. Oh, right! Yeah. Um, And it was a couple of months ago that it started changing to Jess Valenzuela, and we're like, which is it? Um, It is Valenzuela. (laughs) And Disney bills her um, in their own description of the character as the truth seeker. So Jess Valenzuela's family is from Mexico. She's She herself is a early 20s, you know, young woman dreamer. Um, so she is um, here in the U.S. on DACA. And she graduated, apparently, sort of at the top of her class with a full scholarship to go to college. But unfortunately, her mother got sick, and so she decided to stay home and take care of her. Now, of course, by the time Edge of History starts, her mother recently died. Um, But we do find out early on in the premiere that her mother was secretly at one point an academic researcher studying the Mayan, Aztec, and Incan treasure. Now, Jess's father was, of course, a treasure protector that purportedly died when she was a baby. Hey, everyone. 
Aubrey from the future here. Yeah, so this is a new thing that's going to be happening here and there this season because this is the first time we've ever had to talk about something as it was airing. So fun behind the scenes fact, we actually recorded this episode that you're listening to right now a few weeks ago, which means we've learned a thing or two more about these characters and and what's been going on with them in the years preceding Edge of History since recording. So I'm going to pop in and tell you when uh, we learned some new stuff. And spoiler alert, he's alive. We do now know that Jess's dad is alive. And um, here's another fun behind the scenes fact, just for your own edifice and and knowledge. Uh, Emily and I actually knew her dad was alive since the first time we watched the screeners, because in the early iteration of this show, this reveal was made way, way earlier. But we couldn't tell you because you don't get to know until recently. Okay end of our future casting here. We also know that Jess is currently studying for her U.S. citizenship test, and her dream job is in the FBI's cryptanalysis division. Unsurprisingly, a main character trait is that she loves puzzles and notices tiny details that other people wouldn't necessarily notice. So, um, she's not Emily? Is that fair? Oh my gosh! (laughs) I like puzzles. Do you notice tiny details, especially tiny details in National Treasure? Not National Treasure. I notice tiny details in some things. Oh my gosh. It just has to hit me right. Uh, okay. So Emily, is there... This is probably pretty pretty straightforward, but is there a particular character in National Treasure, like the movies that you would compare her to? I mean, Ben... Yeah, I mean, I think she was written to be the equivalent of Ben Gates, we know that, but I have seen in an interview that Lizette herself thinks that um, Jess is a lot like Abigail, especially Mm. from the perspective of Abigail being an American who wasn't born here in the United States. Oh, okay, I like that. I like that approach to kind of relating Mm -hmm. to a character. It's a little less about just kind of like the the surface level. Mm Mm-hmm stuff and it's kind of diving a bit more into like background Mm -hmm. yeah so so emily at this point in edge of history what is one adjective that you would use to describe jess valenzuela i think i would say determined um you know she has shown over the course of you know the first handful of episodes that she is not only determined to gain her citizenship but she is also determined to work for the fbi which i feel like to most people who might not already be a u.s citizen would be something that they wouldn't even consider Mm -hmm. because it would take kind of so long to get there um and then i mean she's also pretty determined in terms of like the treasure hunt once she kind of figures out you know what's happening so that's fair oh what about you i'm gonna go a little different direction here when when we first meet jess uh i really felt that she was trapped Mm. um she seemed trapped in her job 
she seemed trapped in a difficult situation in terms of like paying for her apartment and eventually trapped in that same regard when she loses her job and and almost trapped by this heritage that she thinks she understands and has really dictated her life up until this point you know this idea that her father was this good for nothing thief and now she's alone without her mother I I just I got the sense you know I didn't want to say like down on her luck but like I just get this sense of 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 like almost a claustrophobia and like uh nothing is going right kind of situation early on in this in this series and and that's why I think the treasure hunt kind of gives her something to break free for if that makes sense wow i love that that's that's super deep <laughs> okay well emily of course we love lizette Oliveira, but if i had to think of another young actor to play the role of jess valenzuela the person i am going to suggest is sierra ramirez now she is an actress and a singer um, I personally know her from the Freeform series, The Fosters and Good Trouble. Um, she plays a young woman named Mariana. Um, she's a in in Good Trouble. She's a little bit older, and she's sort of this this tech startup guru sort of person. She has a degree from MIT. She's very intelligent, very bright. Um, she is uh, Latina. I, I just think she would fill this role um, sufficiently well. Hmm. I think if you Googled her, you would recognize her too. <laughs> okay. I'm going to trust you on it. All right. Well, I wonder what our listeners think. So if y'all have thoughts on this quote unquote alternative casting um, or another idea in terms of who else could have played these roles, or if they're totally irreplaceable, you should let us know on social media. But that is our, our discussion of Jess. So um, I think, what do you think? The next logical one would be Jess's best friend. Oh, for sure. So this, of course, is Tasha Rivers, played by the lovely Zuri Reed. Yes, Zuri. I mean, so we didn't get a chance to actually talk to her on the red carpet when we went to the premiere, but we got a chance to talk to her at the after party, and she just, it's like her love for the series and her character is so evident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So Zuri, like Lizette, is pretty new on the scene. She's had a lot of sort of one episode guest roles on different TV series, um, but you might recognize her from Flatbush Misdemeanors, which was her main role in 2021. Now, Zuri is your neighbor, Emily. What? She is from Philadelphia. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, now she lives in Brooklyn, but Aww. that's still not terribly far away. I don't know. I like Philadelphia better. I mean, uh, but anyway, she could live in L.A. is what I'm saying. Um, she has said that being from philadelphia kind of made national treasure special for her right because ben gates is running across the rooftops of her hometown and this is i think really cool because it's not the first time we've heard something like that it's not usually coming from an actor it's usually coming from a viewer or a fan 
But that's, I think, a way that a lot of fans might relate to her. Zuri's first professional job was at 10 years old playing young Nala in The Lion King on Broadway. Oh my goodness! Mm-hmm. And I love that. The Lion King is actually going to be a recurring theme here in just a second. But for now, uh, when it comes to casting Zuri in the role of Tasha, she has said that she was drawn to the Edge of History script because of this idea that Tasha was such a smart woman character who really isn't afraid to speak her mind. I like that. Yeah, and I mean... When we did talk to her, I remember her specifically saying that Tasha is a little bit more sassy than she is herself definitely in real life. So I could imagine that's pretty fun to play. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's something I would have trouble with. Yeah, I think it would be really fun. (laughs) I don't know if it would be hard or not, but um, in any case, do you remember what Disney kind of billed the character of Tasha as? I'm going to be honest, I did not pay attention to what Disney billed them as, because I just kind of, like, was like, I'll learn it when I see it. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, she was billed as the specialist. This kind of, I guess, is meant to convey the fact that she is herself a tech guru. And she's also very modern social media influencer. I have to be honest, this is probably not going to be a surprise to anyone Mm -hmm. because, you know, I did not catch what she was an influencer for. Yeah, so she runs an online platform that's really, it's kind of about like privacy and like how to keep the government and big corporations out of your business. Hmm. Like... I don't know, in some ways, the way, you know, what you were saying about your scream, Emily, the idea of your phone listening and and suggesting this ring thing to you and it being a Mason's thing, like, she would want to help you prevent that from happening. To which I say, then we wouldn't have good screams. Rue. <laughs> well, I might not. You're having dreams, so. That's true. That's that's fair. It's surpassed your phone. Yeah, I don't know if she could control the dreams. But ultimately, this whole privacy idea and whatnot, she tends to be kind of anti-government. She is also Oren's ex-girlfriend. We'll get to Oren in a in a little bit. And of course, she is Jess's roommate and her best friend since high school. Hard eyes. So, Emily, who is Tasha compared to the National Treasure movies? Like, I know what the right answer is, but I kind of want to say just in the sense that she's like a, a outspoken, you know, woman who, you know, isn't afraid to speak her mind. I kind of want to say that she's like somewhat like Abigail. And and please clarify for our listeners who the right answer is. Oh, the right answer is Riley. <laughs> yeah. My so favorite. I, I think you're right. She's clearly supposed to be like kind of one half of Riley, the tech side of Riley. Um, maybe she's a little bit of the conspiracy theorist side of Riley with the whole like government listening and trying to stop that. But uh, she's most directly the, the tech guru side of Riley. And I like that. I like that idea of her being a little bit of Abigail as well. I think that something that Wibberley's mentioned to us and 
I think will become really evident with this series is when you have so much more time to play with these characters, you really hope they're going to be a little more complex than like the tech guy, the historian guy, the token female, you know, things like that. Um, And I think we're already starting to see that by these characters not necessarily fitting into the exact mold of one film character, you know? Ooh, also because there are seven of them. That's true. And seven is greater than three. (laughs) Math. (laughs) Adjective analysis, what you got? I'm going to let you go first because I feel like ours are kind of similar here. And and I want to hear yours before... uh changing mine slightly (laughs) okay well i am going to say that if i had to describe tasha in one word i would say she's loyal and my reason for this is well it goes above what i think is the surface level the surface level is you know just seems really astounded that even after one seriously dangerous situation that she has placed her friends in especially tasha that they're still kind of all in and and Tasha is obviously her number two in command. And so she's clearly loyal in that sense. But the real reason for this, I think is her dedication to helping Jess, even though it sort of ties, helping her ties into sort of American history and law enforcement and, and government and things that she fundamentally does not believe in herself. And yet because she's so loyal to Jess as her best friend, She's willing to put aside her own issues with a topic at hand to be able to help her friend and ensure that she's safe and successful. That's way better. I should have gone first. That's way (laughs) better than mine is going to (laughs) be. What's yours? Mine's committed, which is kind of the same idea. Um, You know, I was kind of looking at it in the sense of like, you know, you see her through a handful of different situations like you know trying to she's committed to you know keeping her online you know persona intact and stuff like that you know even you know after we see at the very beginning of the series right she's broken up with Oren um and there's like a moving situation like everything's happening and she's still taking time to like make the make this content um and then also the fact that yeah she is very she's committed to being jess's friend right and i think the fact that they've been friends since high school kind of speaks to that because i feel like people change over time and i feel like to maintain a friendship especially going from like high school to you know when you're a little bit older that's where a lot of big changes happen Mm -hmm. Uh, so I feel like in order to maintain that friendship you have to be somewhat committed to the friendship and the person Mm -hmm. um that you care about okay I like that you have a more literal level and a more deep level so I give you some credit there thank you we're good so my alternate casting for you is an actress named Aisha D She is probably best and most recently known for her role as Kat on the Freeform series. You're going to see a trend here. Um, The Freeform series called The Bold Type, which was a show all about these young 20-something women best friends working in New York City. They were working at a fashion magazine, so it was very like Devil Wears Prada meets Sex and the City kind of. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but her character, Kat, was really, really well known for speaking her mind, standing up for social causes, sort of at whatever personal risk. She didn't care. Like, she lost jobs over it. Um, and I think she would be a really logical swap in here if if necessary. That sounds perfect, honestly. Well, thank you. That being said, of course, we don't want to replace Zuri. No, no. I think we that goes without her. saying for this entire episode. This is more of a game. Um, okay, so um, uh, which character should we dive into next? Why don't we go with uh, the you know, only character in our new show that is named after a character from the original National Treasure franchise. Um, Ethan? Yeah. Who is he uh, named after? Oh, no. Sean Bean plays Ian. <laughs> oh, man. You are I'm hopeless. Well. We're six seasons in. <laughs> You are hopeless. Oh my god. Okay, Ethan. Ethan it is. Now, one of my favorite things about Ethan is to our current knowledge, he's the only character that doesn't have a last name. Ooh. I looked far and wide. Far and wide for a last name for this character, and I cannot find one um, at the time of this recording. So, I'm just convinced he's the new Penny from Big Bang Theory. Okay. She was well known for like intentionally never having a last name. So did you anyway. find out her last name at the end? No, because she ends up be she marries Leonard, and so she takes his last name. But like you don't know her maiden name. That's like the whole thing. Although I am reading the brand new deep dive book into the Big Bang Theory, and apparently the um, the people who like do the props and the set and everything like had to put a last name on like mail and stuff, and so they did just put random last names on it. Oh, wait, she married Leonard? Yes. How do you not know this? I thought they broke up. Like in season two. And then they got back together? They were very on again, off again, but they were married for the last several seasons. What? Yeah. Oh. Your fiance, I might be interested in this show again. Your fiance would be very disappointed in you. He would be. So anyway, where were we? Um, Ethan is played by Jordan Rodriguez. And before we dive in further, I have to say, Ethan and actually another character that we're not going to talk about today, uh, I know both of those actors originally from Freeform shows, so that's mm. the reason we're getting so much of this today. Um, so you might know Jordan Rodriguez, if you are me, from The Fosters. So he actually played opposite that Mariana character, Sierra Ramirez, as her boyfriend, in the fosters um the fosters ran from 2014 to 2018 was he in the season that would have been playing when we were in college almost definitely he was a recurring character for a while okay because you 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 had it on Mm -hmm. totally and i would pay attention sometimes highly recommend very good show as well as its spinoff uh good trouble um if you didn't watch the fosters you might also know jordan from dance academy which ran from 2010 to 2013 ladybird which was yeah a film in 2017 and the show light as a feather from 2018 to 2019 yeah jordan is one of the slightly more established 
um, cast members of this overall very young cast. He is from Australia, which is jarring if you only see him in things like The Fosters or National Treasure Edge of History. Yeah, I have to say, you know, thinking back to, you know, when we interviewed him at the at the premiere, I I knew he had an Australian accent, but it's me, so I forgot. So he started talking to us and I was like, "Sir, <laughs> please." <laughs> and then was just like, "Oh no, this is this is his accent." <laughs> yeah, cuz he's he's Australian, but he is currently based in Los Angeles. Um Remember how I said that The Lion King was going to be a recurring theme, Emily? hmm So Jordan also got his start initially in The Lion King's Australian tour playing young Simba. Oh, oh it would have been cuter if he was not in the Australian tour and he was in the same one that Zuri was in. And then they would have been playing opposite each other. It would have been so cute. Yeah. <laughs> hate you i know um so what do we know about ethan the character so he is billed by disney as the skeptic which i think in a way this these disney billings are very much their own adjective games so we're like (laughs) competing against the disney billing when we get to the adjective game but (laughs) seems unfair it does seem unfair because they took a really good one there. If if they did not bill him as a skeptic, I probably would have chosen skeptical as my adjective. Um, he is a law student. He is overly rational and protective. He's also very type A, likes to kind of call the shots, um, be in control. He is fairly risk averse. He is a voice of reason. Um, but most importantly for Emily, he is best friends with and kind of in love with Jess ever since they were children. Yeah, I mean, that's cute, but I I don't ship it. You don't ship it? No, I ship... Her and Liam? Yeah. Oh my god, oh my god! They're not gonna put her with Ethan anyway. Time will tell. But the reason that they've known each other since they were children, um, evidently Jess's mom tutored him. Oh, cool. So that's sort of how they, they knew each other. Now, from our red carpet interview with Jordan, um, he believes himself that his character is very resourceful and is a creative thinker, which I guess is an interesting way of thinking about a, like a law student or a lawyer. I think creativity is actually quite necessary um, to be able to defend or even prosecute in an effective way. Um, But despite these sorts of really positive qualities for a treasure hunt, his probably most promising quality for a treasure hunt is that he mostly just wants to keep everyone safe and not dead. So, I mean, you need someone like that, which I think we said to him (laughs) when we interviewed him. But yeah, you, you need that person. The skeptical part of Ethan feels like Patrick. Um, because Patrick is very, you know, I wasted my life on this treasure and I'm not going to waste any more of it. Um, I don't think it's real, basically. Mm. I don't think it's a good idea to go chasing after it. And, you know. Sounds very much like Ethan. Yeah. So, again, we're getting a little bit of complex characters here, um, which should lend well to our adjective game. Emily, do you want to go first this time? Sure. Um, I think the adjective that I would use to describe Ethan is jealous Ooh, spicy 
So, I mean, you can look at it from a bunch of angles. Obviously, he's jealous of, you know, the fact... He's jealous of Jess and Jess's lack thereof or love life, depending on at what point you're looking at things. Mm -hmm. Um, Because he he wants to be that person. Um, He is also... There are definitely times where you see him being kind of left out of the group like information sharing Mm -hmm. um especially early on and he seems to be like a little offended by that and i think that uh, offense comes from the idea that he just kind of wants to be included um and then also i think he's a little jealous um probably of the fact that he is so kind of type a um and like he kind of wishes he could just be a little more like go with the flow kind of like some of the other characters in our group are it's interesting i think that's a way more interesting analysis than mine for this one which is i think fairly basic i i think he's cautious he just sees the risk involved in everything. In some ways I relate to him in this way where it's like if there's a challenge at hand, what are all the different ways it can be solved and what is the sort of the cost benefit analysis of each option to maximize the good outcome and minimize the bad outcome. And I think since he's so protective of Jess, I think a lot of this is rooted in his understanding of the great personal risk that she is taking in going after this treasure, right? Because she could be deported to Mexico Mm. at any time. Hi, everyone. Aubrey from the future again. Okay, so at this point, we do know that while Ethan has been very concerned about the possibility of Jess getting deported, that concern has shifted a little bit into concern that Jess can actually get back into the United States of America since she has chosen to cross the border into Mexico. Uh, it is pretty interesting to see the evolution of Ethan over the past few episodes, and that's going to give us a lot of fodder for a future conversation right here on the pod. He also sees that a lot of these activities are very dangerous and his friends could die at any time. And I I think he's constantly, you know, weighting the scales in his mind. So I think he's very cautious. I like that. Um, And my alternate casting is, um, I think, almost literal in some senses. My alternate casting is Bo Murchoff. So I personally know of Bo Murchoff from two different shows, one of which you've already heard today. Um... Well, I guess two, technically, because he's also recurring. He was also in The Fosters, albeit not a lot. He was in, like, a little bit of the last season. And he shows up way more recurringly in Good Trouble, so the spinoff. He's also, the first time I met him as an actor, met in air quotes, because now I feel like we have to explain that we didn't actually meet him. Um, The first time... I air quotes met him as an actor was in a show from a long time ago on MTV called Awkward. It was a scripted show. Um, But in Good Trouble, this is really what I'm drawing from here. He is frequently cast as sort of like an attractive man, um, you know, fairly secure in himself and his life situation. But he's a lawyer in Good Trouble. (laughs) And he's very 
So he plays the the boyfriend of the other main character, the sister of Mariana. Her name is Callie. He plays the boyfriend of Callie. Callie is also very motivated by doing the right thing, regardless of the personal cost. And he's always the one trying to keep her in check and make her realize the different options available to her, even if those options don't suit her personal convictions, but do suit her in terms of like not getting fired from a job she needs. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. I see it. Okay. Let's talk about Oren Bradley next. Antonio Cipriano, the actor playing Oren Bradley. Antonio is one of my favorite people we met on the red carpet. He is delightful. He's like a little ball of energy. Yeah, he gave me very, I'm just happy to be here and and just can't believe I'm along for this ride kind of vibes, which I Mm -hmm. always, that always like hits me. Like, that's how I feel a lot of the time in my life. I like that. Okay. Antonio originated the role of Phoenix in the musical Jagged Little Pill on Broadway. So he started in that role. You know how Broadway shows sort of start not on Broadway and then they Mm -hmm. do well and they come to Broadway as like a test run? So he started when it was not even in Broadway yet. He brought it to Broadway. That was his Broadway debut. Then COVID happened. Um, and apparently after the COVID shutdown of Broadway, he didn't actually come back to join the cast because he like, fundamentally disagreed with some changes that were made regarding the main character in the show. Mm-hmm. Apparently when the character was originated – Um, They were written as non-binary. And when it was brought to Broadway, the character was changed to a cisgender woman. Ooh. And he had a problem with that, and so he didn't come back. Which I good for him. Yeah, I respect. um, I feel like that makes, in a weird way, that makes his real-life persona very, like, very much jiving with the characters in this show as well as some of the other characters I've or actors I've been um, referencing as alternative casting um but when it comes to the role of Orin in National Treasure Edge of History he had told us I think during our red carpet interview that he was drawn to actually not just the script for Edge of History itself but this particular character he said that he Related to the character, but the quote-unquote good parts of his character, since Oren can be also a little bit selfish. A little bit. I mean, interestingly, I wouldn't have chosen the word selfish as the adjective for Oren, and neither would Disney, it turns out. Uh, Disney calls Oren the believer. Ooh. So, he is Tasha's ex, as we said before. He is a Riley Pool stan and is passionate conspiracy theorist. He's read all the books. He's listened to all the podcasts. Like, Riley Pool is his personal celebrity. He also runs a sneaker resale platform, which is why he's always into going to these sneaker drops. Um, we also know that he has a bearded dragon, which is fun. Mm. Which is named <laughs> Buffy! And the way that I saw his character described, uh, apparently this was actually written into the description of his character when he got the role. Um, He was described as, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day. So he'll have these random interjections and sometimes they will be the one key that they need Mm -hmm. to kind of solve a puzzle. Um, 
interestingly, this is one of one of the reasons our interview with him was one of my favorites from the carpet is because he talked to us a little bit about his inspiration for how he played the character. Do you remember? Do you remember what he said in terms of who his like comedic inspirations were? Yeah, it was super random. I can see it kind of now, but I wasn't definitely wasn't thinking it at first. But didn't he say some people from New Girl? Yeah, he said a combo of Schmidt and Nick. Interesting combo to have in one person. <laughs> Complex characters. Um, and so I think it's probably no surprise that in terms of parallels to the films, he's definitely the second half of Riley Poole, right? If Tasha's the tech guru, Oren is definitively the conspiracy theorist part. Um, probably but, why he's my favorite yeah well but also interestingly that whole broken clock is right twice a day attribute that is describing Riley and his daylight savings moment and his president's secret book moment mm. you know there's always a moment where the rest of the people who are actually really intrigued by the treasure hunt they can't figure it out and this is the character that solves it for them wow <laughs> all right well you like Oren a lot so I'm really wondering what your adjective description for him is it doesn't seem like I like him based on my adjective description <laughs> but I uh my adjective for him is chaotic okay pray tell uh he's just a little all over the place um <laughs> he doesn't seem to be necessarily the most rational in his decision making all the time it honestly really surprises me that he and uh tasha dated um mm. not because like they don't have chemistry but just because their personalities just i i don't know i don't understand how his i mean i guess like the anti-government conspiracy theory thing would kind of go together but i just feel like he is just legitimately just so just all over the place <laughs> he just he like doesn't know what is he doesn't know what he's doing half the time he just like does a thing um so i didn't get to ask you how do you feel about really the two halves of riley as a character being in a couple i never thought of it like that uh really just said it i mean it's fine that that would be awesome to me they have some chemistry so you have to assume that you know something was working i don't know i think it the only reason in my brain it, it works is because we see riley as one complete character and so if you put these two together it's almost like you create that character oh that's so lovely i didn't mean for it to be that way, i know but... you didn't um okay my description of Oren is again this isn't a very deep one but relatable and i think that really is attributed in some ways to how we see him as a prominent Riley figure. You know, Riley is a stand-in for the audience. He's meant to convey what we're thinking and feeling in the moment in the show. Um, I see early signs of that being Oren as well. You know, he's like mm. an honest-to-God treasure map. You're kidding, right? Like, that's a reasonable reaction that I think the audience would have in in that moment. Um, but I don't know, just some of the... He just seems a little bit like the the every millennial or the every Gen Zer, you know, like the mm -hmm. oh sneaker resale platform trying to like this is my side hustle, this is my gig, I want to make it a thing, or right. I'm passionate about conspiracy theories, or you know I have a pet because that's a very just things like that. He feels very, very Brilliant. much yeah the stand in the stand in that that we're always looking for here. Mm -hmm. 
So um, I feel really good about my alternate casting for this one. I, and okay. This I, is someone, I am awaiting. This is someone you might actually know. Okay. Do you know Noah Centineo? Oh, yeah. He was just in Black Adam. Sure. I, sure. I'll take your word for it. Um, I think a lot of the world knows him for his real breakout role in the To All the Boys I Loved Before movies. Oh, I on, saw him in that, too. <laughs> on Netflix. I know him from The Fosters. Gosh. He played Mariana's bro- twin brother. Um, and I think I've seen him in To All the Boys as well. I've seen him in The Fosters, of course. And I think he plays definitely not the same role in both but this relatable but like you know doesn't know he's as cool or as attractive or whatever as he is kind of guy very he's definitely that way in black adam as well it yeah. well i'm thinking in terms of the the chaos oh okay <laughs> i feel like he's a he's he's a relatable character to go along with my character analysis but i also feel like he can play funny really well mm-hmm. um so I think he's a logical a logical stand in here. Okay. What do you think about that since you actually know who he is? I like it. Yay! Oh my god, I'm doing so well. Well done. Thank you. Um should we then I guess let's round it out with the last like treasure hunter? Yeah. Well, protagonist treasure hunter. <laughs> so that of course is Liam Sadusky. Played by Jake Austin Walker. Oh, look at that last name, Aubrey. Uh, <laughs> we have feelings about that. Uh, I'm assuming you mean the character's last name. Yeah. Of course I have feelings about that, but that's for another episode. <laughs> so what do we know about the actor Jake Austin Walker? You might know him from the show Rectify, which aired 2013 to 2016. And more recently, Emily from Stargirl from 2020 to 2021. I didn't watch that, but okay. Isn't it like a DC thing? Yeah, I don't know. Josh watched it. So he knew who he was when we were on the carpet? Josh and Josh and my partner, Brian, were our cameramen on the carpet. Shout out. I'm assuming? <laughs> he didn't say anything about it. Did he have a very prominent role? Maybe not? I think so. Oh, okay. I'll ask him. Oh, please do. Um, but... Jake Austin Walker is very much a singer. He has a number of singles and music videos. Um, from his website, he sort of describes his style as Mike Posner meets Frank Sinatra, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, he is originally from Mississippi and currently living in LA. Really nice guy. He seemed another one that was just like really jazzed to be there, yeah. um, which was cool. For sure. He Yeah, he was just very yeah excited and you could tell he had really done a lot of like thinking about his character which was important right i mean big shoes to fill he's sort of a legacy character being Mm -hmm. sadusky's grandson um but i will say before we move on to the character itself something that i found really interesting was that jake apparently read guns germs and steel and like other u.s history style books once he got the role to kind of prepare and get into the mindset which i love um his character liam sadusky is described by disney as the wild card which i actually really like Uh, but as we said he is agent sadusky's grandson and he of course holds a massive grudge against his grandfather before his death 
Uh, we know that his father was in the U.S. military and that he died as a consequence of the treasure hunting. And much like his actor who's playing him, Liam is an aspiring musician who is a singer. He plays the guitar. He wants to move to Nashville. All that fun stuff that you want to do in your early 20s. Yeah, he... He was, like, as much as we're saying that Oren is kind of the, like, uh, the kind of stand-in for, for the audience in some senses, I think Liam is kind of the idealized version of that in many respects. Hmm. Interesting. Well... We do know that he is reluctant, at least at first, to join the treasure hunt, mostly because of, you know, as Jake has described himself, the fact that he's witnessed really firsthand because of his dad how much you can lose in one of these treasure hunting pursuits. So I guess, uh, M, who do you think he parallels from the movies? I mean, Patrick. For sure. I mean, totally Patrick in terms of the reluctance and then eventual uh, like he agrees to to be a part of it um in a weird way in a poetic way i see a little bit of sadusky in him as well i mean that makes sense (laughs) i mean think about it sadusky was a freemason himself so he knew about this treasure and whatnot yet you don't have him you know overtly believing in the treasure and trying to find it himself um and and in, in a sense being part of the fbi he can't he can't look for the treasure um, so I, I see a little bit of familial connection there, even if it's loose and even if Liam wouldn't like to hear it himself. Oh, he would hate to hear it. <laughs> so how would you describe Liam? Um, surface level, uh, grumpy. Okay. Yeah. I mean, um, he, he is. He just, I mean, like he, he just feels like. He's got a lot of baggage and, you know, I mean, his, his dad died when he was younger. Like, he, you know, he he has reasons for some of this stuff, but uh, he just kind of feels like he is in the kind of like, I hate the world yeah. phase of things. There, it, Even when he interacts, you know, in early, early episodes with some of our, you know, other characters, he isn't exactly like pleasant i was gonna say this is like a hot take but early on he's very unlikable Mm -hmm. i mean i think well based on your adjective i think we are meant to like him really well i didn't say okay my adjective is brooding (laughs) i yeah i think we're meant to like him because the brooding is like a thing that's like people like the brooding guy I mean, and so does Jess, right? That's clear. I see him as sort of the dark horse. You don't really know what he's going to do. A little unpredictable. Um, very angry. I For a while, I had angry written down as my adjective. But I think it's more complex than that, which is why I changed it to brooding. I found this alternate casting to be the hardest out of all of them. Hmm. Yeah. Um, This is another one that you might know. My alternate casting for this one, and this I'm not married to, so like if you have other ideas, if our audience has other ideas um, in this very important game of alternative casting, please let me know. 
Um, my alternate casting here is Austin Butler. Okay. I know of him. So I think most people will know Austin Butler from his most recent really big role, which is playing Elvis Presley in Elvis, which came out in 2022. Um, I don't know him from much else, to be completely honest with you. And I didn't see Elvis either. I, I did not either. Um, But I, I vaguely knew who he was beforehand. I don't know why. Um, I feel like most conventionally attractive people can play brooding if they try (laughs) we also know that he can sing which is helpful in this role um but i don't know i really don't have a good one for this he's he's my he's my wild card thanks disney all right we have two characters left do we want to go good or evil good chaotic neutral or chaotic i don't know <laughs> yeah good we question. already did chaotic that was Oren. <laughs> okay let's move on then to fbi agent ross um our new fbi agent played by lyndon smith lyndon was lovely she oh was so nice so lyndon has been in like eighty four thousand things in these sort of one episode guest starring roles i scoured her imdb i was seriously impressed i would say she's probably most known for parenthood which ran from 2013 to 2015 public morals which was from 2015 and crazy ex-girlfriend she had a slightly recurring role uh, in 2018 Hmm. um i know very little about her according to the interwebs um so what i do know is that she's from florida and she actually graduated from the university of florida um wow yeah so we what's something fun about this is i feel like all of our cast so far is from literally all over the place oh yeah like every corner of the country and then australia (laughs) and then our last character we're gonna get another country as well true (laughs) um again she was super super nice and you could tell that she had really done a lot of thinking about how her character and how the series relates to the movies based on her answers to our questions on the carpet as well as a lot of interviews that she's done before and after that but what's funny about that emily is she actually hadn't seen the national treasure movies before being cast as agent ross yeah that is odd to me well it's odd to me for many reasons (laughs) um the the first of which is i feel like she's prime demographic age to have seen them Mm -hmm. you know like early 30s it's it's square right smack there in in the age range um but she did of course watch it once she was cast and claims that she could see immediately why they were so popular um which is the right answer yes um she apparently did quite a bit of weapons training for the role as the resident fbi agent and did a lot of her own stunts which we enjoy seeing and hope to continue seeing yeah, I it gives me high hopes. Yes, so for the second half of the season, the character now of Agent Ross, Disney was very creative um, with their description of Ross. She is the law. Jeez, come okay. on, Disney! Come on, Dis- hire us seriously! <laughs> oh my God, so Agent Ross is a young FBI agent who just so happens to be working for Agent Sadusky's former colleague, Agent Hendricks. Yes, if you did not notice that, we do have a recurring FBI agent character other than Agent Sadusky himself. Um, 
we got to love that sort of uh random right like sorry this is one of my like little gotta gotta pick on it I don't know. Agent Sadusky leaves the FBI and just happens to move to Baton Rouge where his former colleague just happens to get relocated in the FBI. And then when he uh, when he dies, his uh, sort of stand in in the movie just happens to be at at the Baton Rouge field field office. And I don't know. A lot of happens to be for me. But <laughs> back to Agent Ross. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Agent Ross apparently graduated at the top of her class at Quantico and was subsequently assigned to work in Washington, D.C. at the J. Edgar Hoover building. But she made some big mistake in her first big assignment in D.C. and therefore got like a massive demotion to the Baton Rouge field office. Um, we did take the immediate opportunity to ask Lyndon herself about like how the dynamic between her FBI agent and the treasure hunters compares to Sadusky's and Ben's. Cause you know that as much as I like to rag on agent Sadusky, I think the Sadusky Ben relationship is one of the most fascinating things that we talk about on this podcast because it is so dynamic and open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. So when we asked her about it, she confirmed that much like Sadusky, Agent Ross is pretty much always going to be a step behind the treasure hunters um, and that she's she's going to have her own curiosities and she's going to be told by the powers that be in the FBI to really let things go and, you know, stop, you know, focusing on these things. And so she really needs to ultimately make her own decision whether it's better, in Lyndon's words, to ask for forgiveness or permission. Mm. So, uh, Emily, I don't think you can get this one wrong. Um, who does she parallel from the movies? Hendrix, for sure. Definitely. No, Sadowski. Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm really curious. Now, this is another thing. This is like gave me heart palpitations when we saw the premiere both times. Um, what are they going to do about the FBI in National Treasure 3? Are they going to bring her in somehow? Or are they going to just be a new... Like, a, another new agent. Like, this bothers me viscerally. People gotta retire at some point. I worry about this. <laughs> I think they'll find a way. I think it'll be okay. Mm, maybe they'll be haunted by Sadusky. That could be there fun. You go. Okay, so... You would hate that. They would be adding, like, a supernatural element to the story. They added a supernatural little bit in the series. Not loving it. The, the light-up things that aren't actually lighting up and stuff. Not a fan. And I don't, they're not actually lighting up. Right, but they're showing it as such. Like, it's, I think it's, it's just to demonstrate things. I don't think it's actually... I know, it's not, I'm not feeling it. But it's not supernatural. That's not supernatural. It's not supernatural. It's between reality and supernatural. It's not full reality, obviously. Oh my god. Anyway. It's, almost like, it's almost like we have a million more things to talk about with regards to this series. Okay, continuing along, um, my adjective... For um, Agent Ross is restless. I feel like Agent Ross is very unsettled in her new role in the Baton Rouge field office. Um, She is bored. She feels like she can't pursue the leads that she wants to. She feels like she has good instincts and people are trying to squash those instincts. It's almost like she's a woman in the workforce. Mm. Um, 
Um, but Shocker. that that restlessness, that boredom, that suspicion is really what I think leads her to believe in some element of what the treasure hunters are doing and, and wanting to pursue them, even if it's what she's told she should not be doing. Um, so I would call her restless. And in this, in a similar way, this, I think, gives her an immediate parallel to Jess, by the way, mm. because I would argue that the way I describe Jess as trapped, I think you could similarly call her restless um, in, in a slightly different way. So I think there are some similarities there that could be explored. Okay. I like it. Um, I went a little more surface level, I guess, and said honorable. Um, I mean, I think it's very clear that she is trying to do a very good job of her job. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that she, you know, obviously if she graduated top, of the class at Quantico, right? Like she has that kind of like honorable character, those kinds of honorable characteristics about her. She believes in the cause. And I, she even says that a couple of times that she mm-hmm. like fundamentally believes in the cause. So my alternate casting for um, Agent Ross is going back to the Freeform family. This actress I know from Pretty Little Liars, her name is Janelle Parrish. So in Pretty Little Liars, she played a very complex character, um, someone who was always sort of a little bit of an outsider. She wanted to be part of the main liars, um, like part of that friend group. Um, She could never quite break in. She always felt a little bit behind, like two steps behind. Um, You could never really tell if she was good or evil, like good or bad, what her intentions were. Um. She had a dark turn at one point, but that's that's not really why I'm picking her for this. Um, and she's also very intelligent. And so for those reasons, really that like dynamic of, you know, I know that this this actress can kind of play that role of being a couple steps behind and always trying to be a part of the group in the best way that she can be, but sometimes she just can't be. I think that could be an interesting way to go about this. All right, Emily, we did it. Whew, this is a lot of characters. We have another one. I know. Oh. We got to the last one. Oh, okay. <laughs> so our final character of the day is our new resident villain, or at least one of the villains, because it's very clear she's not working on her own. Mm-hmm. True. This, this, of course, is Billy Pierce, played by Catherine Zeta-Jones. Now, the most interesting thing that I learned from our red carpet, or our time on the red carpet, um or really prepping for it, for Edge of History, was how to pronounce her last name. Yeah. It's Zeta Jones. Yeah, like Cheetah. Yeah. Or so the the PR company told us in an email before we got there. (laughs) Who knew? I will say, on the days following, when she was on, like, the Kelly Clarkson show and Kelly and Ryan and Good Morning America and everything, I was watching all those videos – and they all said Catherine Zeta Jones. And I was like, I suspect good, good managers. I suspect this is something that they've been clarifying recently because I've definitely usually not heard it pronounced. That yeah. <laughs> and like what was the final straw for her? I know. Anyway, I digress. I just thought that was very interesting. Um, it feels silly to say where you might know Catherine Zeta Jones from. Um 
A couple examples include the movie Chicago from 2002, The Legend of Zorro in 2005, as well as its you know predecessor film, and most recently the Netflix series Wednesday, which came out in 2022. She plays a very good Morticia, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, what do we know about her? Well, she is an A-list celebrity, so you can read a lot about her online if you'd like. We will give you the synopsis. Catherine is from Wales, and she is married to Michael Douglas, as my parents like to point out to me many times over. They also like to ask me if Michael Douglas was on the carpet with her, to which I replied, no, I'm sorry, he was not. Her son was, though. I also had a lot of people ask me about that, but more from the the context that he plays Hank Pym in the Ant-Man Marvel movie. Oh my god. Uh, so, so all of my geeky friends. Nice. <laughs> That's so funny. I can't tell you how many people have walked up to me and their first words were, so you met Catherine Zeta-Jones? That She's a, she's a crowd pleaser for Zeta. sure. No, but they said Zeta. Oh. See? No one knows. Um, something that I found really interesting when looking into her backstory Back in 1993, literally the year you and I were born, Emily, there was a TV series called The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, and Catherine was in one episode of that show. What? Which I was like, okay, this is one of those parallels I live for, you know? What? (laughs) Yeah. Mind blown. Um, And since everyone has been asking us, yes, she is very nice. Yeah, she, she's super kind. <laughs> she seemed very entertained by the idea of National Treasure Hunt as well, which is very cool. Love to all, hear it. For all of us. Um, so in terms of her casting, I think this is a pretty fair ask. Like in a, in a show of all of these really up and coming actors or lesser known actors how do you get Catherine zeta jones on your cast well apparently jerry Bruckheimer himself called her and asked if she would be interested in joining the franchise now she was intrigued by the character and just how evil she was um apparently also her kids like the national treasure movies and so that was you know a fun little additional reason to sign on uh she apparently chose the blonde wig for billy herself and this was in part inspired by the fact that she was following up playing morticia and that whole really dark vibe in wednesday Mm. so she kind of went polar opposite (laughs) okay so let's dive into what's important here which is the character billy pierce so disney bills her interestingly you know i would might have gone with villain bad guy bad lady bad person um disney bad went with- lady <laughs> <laughs> well guy lady i don't know are they not the same thing? gal bad gal whatever um disney goes with the truth keeper now her backstory i think if i had to i'm gonna kind of go out of order here i think if i had to parallel her to one of the original national treasure villains i would say she's obviously ian or mitch but i get more mitch vibes from her oh um the reason for that is um well she's a crypto person but she's also a black market antiquities dealer and mitch was a black market antiquities dealer um but when we talked to her on the red carpet we talked to Catherine on the red carpet she did hint that billy has a backstory 
that kind of makes her want this treasure and makes her dark and villainous. And so that really makes me think of Mitch more than it makes me think of Ian. Okay, that actually makes me think of neither of them. (laughs) Because I don't view them as very fleshed out villain characters. But Mitch has a backstory, his whole family history. I mean, yeah, but like, I feel like he just, I don't know, I don't feel like he cared about it that much. (laughs) What? How can you say that? Because I feel like he just wanted the treasure, like. No, he wanted his literal. Do you forget the whole point? The Mitch's whole motive was like have the Wilkinson's family name like marked in the history books. Like he has something driving him, something from his past, something that's like been itching at him that makes him the way he is. And I'm not saying that I think, you know, Billy's family failed in a conquest during the Civil War like Mitch's ancestor did, <laughs> but I am saying. That something happened to make her have this underlying desire to find this treasure and make her willing to work for Salazar. True, true. Alrighty, Aubrey from the future here. So yeah, that thing that was motivating Billy to be personally invested in the treasure hunt, that would be the fact that her brother Sebastian was killed during his contributions to the treasure hunt himself. So that seems like a pretty good reason to be invested to me. And we're going to learn pretty soon of some more connections between Billy and the hunt. Uh, But for now, I think it's fair to say that we're also getting some suspicions that she might have a different relationship with Salazar than she let on. More to come there. (laughs) Sorry, I feel very passionately about this, apparently. Um, How would you describe Billy? It's fine. It's Oh, how would I? Sorry. (laughs) You're going to say, how would you describe Mitch? And I was going to be like, we don't have time. (laughs) How would I describe Billy? intelligent and i think this is why i said that she doesn't remind me of either of the villains (laughs) (laughs) i don't perceive either of them as being very intelligent i mean you know we we know ian um and he was very brute force uh couldn't really do it without ben and ben and co uh, Mitch may be slightly more intelligent, but, like, also... Opposite. Opposite. What? No. I think he... he Ian, to... Ian actually solved the riddles. He was just too late. To me, Mitch seemed like he... I think because I'm I'm seeing him as, le- like, slightly less, like forceful and that he's not like blowing things up he's not blowing things up he's kidnapping people i mean yeah it's i don't know never mind um anyway i don't see either villain <laughs> from the franchise well, i didn't the... mean to shut you down i wanted to have a a, a conversation here Emily. so it's okay <laughs> as i'm talking it's making make it's making less and less sense <laughs> i i think she's intelligent she it's it's a little unclear to me, you know, if she can completely do this on her own, but it's clear that she has been trying to mm-hmm. and that she like wants like she she is aware of what she needs in order to solve kind of the various clues that lead to this treasure. Um whereas I feel like 
neither Ian nor Mitch was necessarily like had that kind of conceptual understanding mm-hmm. of what was going on. Um, if we're talking like cliches, right, which mm-hmm. we, we did in a previous episode, like typically villains aren't seen as being like super intelligent in kind of action adventure franchises. That's fair. Um, I I'm gonna give you an adjective. And then I'm going to really elaborate on it because it's just more of a feeling that I get. It's, she's slick or like slippery in, in that it's very clear that she has all of these resources available to her and she has the brain. So she has the brains, like you said, she has the resources and she has the drive and like those three things together are dangerous in the hands of a villain and she just i feel like she's gonna be that like that type of person where you can set her up to be taken in by the fbi like like just sets her up in the gift shop of of the ship Mm. right in the exchange between Orin and and the box in the kidnapping exchange you can just set her up to be like taken into custody for something else she just slipped right out of it you know she's just i just feel like we're gonna see that a lot in some regard i feel like she's just gonna be untouchable in a way um and i think part of that part of the reason her character has to be written that way is because this is 10 hours long you can't just catch the villain immediately right mm-hmm. so the and and you also have to keep having interactions between the villain and the protagonist or else it's going to get boring so that means there needs to be some slipping and sliding here that the villain is able to accomplish so i just think she's slick she's slippery um i think that her aesthetic and the way she speaks really leads into that as well um she's a very very polished you know the straight bobbed hair with the severe cut and the way she speaks on the phone literal villain vibes like you're no you can't tell me if you're trying to kind of recreate that in the real world that it would sound normal at all just (laughs) so that's that is you know it's more like i said it's more of a feeling i'm not describing it well um my alternate casting here I'm gonna go with Penelope Cruz. Can you remind me? I I know her, but like, what has she been in? I don't know how many things I've seen her in beyond Pir- the last Pirates of the Caribbean movie. I don't know. I feel like Penelope Cruz could give the similar kind of slick, slippery vibe, like just like a like intelligent, strong, commanding female figure. Um, she's another A-list name. It was clear that they were using the Billy character to kind of bring some star power to this. Um, and yeah, I, I don't have much more to say. I just, it was the one when I was like going through a list of like A-list female celebrities who are a little older than our main cast. This is the only one that I looked at and I was like, yes, that could do it. Okay. I, I dig it. I dig it. Um, but I really do want to know what our audience thinks i want to know if they think that our characterization our early understanding of these characters is sort of on on point but i also want to know who they would 
alternatively cast in these roles again recognizing that we like all of the actors that are currently playing the roles this is again a thought experiment a game i want to know who folks would put in these characters yeah so if you have those kinds of thoughts please go ahead and find us on social media um we are at nt hunt podcast on both twitter and instagram and you can find us also at our website uh nthuntpodcast.com where that's just kind of a general hub of information for everything that we're doing there's also a place in there where you can write in little comments and questions to us so if you know being public on social media isn't your your deal you go ahead and write us there too totally and i i respond very quickly to those messages as well um a quick reminder that we'll probably make some sort of updated version of this episode in the future as we learn more about these characters or as we're introduced to new characters who are kind of this main role status um and so if there are any characters that come along that you think we should dive into shoot us a message and tell us that too you know again like we said at the beginning this is really our first foray into covering something in semi-real time. Um, and we're definitely open to your thoughts on how to best do that. But we're obviously going to try our darndest to uh, to do a good job for you all. So, hey, our next episode is a big one. We are covering the second half of National Treasure, Edge of History, Season 1. That would be basically episodes 6 through 10. I'm going to do our classic recap and commentary, and I think we're all looking forward to that. So until then, I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our national treasure hunt. (laughs) ¶¶